Good morning. This is Chicky Fitzgerald with the Executive Girlfriends Group, and we have got an amazing guest today. Uh, the topic is mental toughness for women leaders, 52 tips to recognize and utilize your greatest strengths. Our author today is Lorraine Kwai. And Lorraine, I am so happy to have you on the show today. And you have just gotten amazing backstory. I always love the backstory of our authors because it tells us why it is that you got to the place that you absolutely had to pour this book onto paper. So, oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm <laughs> so excited give, us, to be here. give us a little snapshot into Lorraine. Well, absolutely. Um, you know, we talk about mental toughness, and that's my passion, writing about mental toughness and sharing it with other people, other women. Um, and I, I was born and raised on a cattle ranch in Wyoming, and I had to have mental toughness just to get through that experience. It was, it was, um, uh, you know, rattlesnakes and, and cattle and horses, and, and uh, so I, I needed mental toughness just to survive. <laughs> right. Um, so anyway, when I uh, after I uh, graduated from college, I um, actually worked as a buyer in a kind of this fancy department store, and I thought, you know, I like to shop, I like to wear fun clothes, so this is a natural fit, right? And <laughs> I, it was horrible. I didn't like it at all. I it, I, I mean, the, the, my job consisted of persuading women to. to by polka dot instead of stripes. I mean, it was just that meaningless for me. And so I was getting back to my, uh, I was going back to school at Arizona State, getting a master's degree, and the FBI came on campus, and I decided, hey, why not? Why not just pursue that and see where it will lead to? And I have never looked back. Wow. Well, what a departure from polka dots to the FBI and counterintelligence and yes. and spies and, and all of that stuff that, you know, is, is so close to our field of vision on TV. And it's so funny, you know, as I sit and look at, at your picture and, you know, you're this beautiful blonde. And every time I watch one of those shows about the FBI where the key character is, you know, an attractive blonde wearing, you know, spiky heels, I think, oh, that can't really be it. <laughs> but, but it is. Well, let's leave off the spiky heel part. I mean, uh, that was not something, if you're, I mean, you know, if you're wanting to be taken seriously out there, there are not very many spiky heels uh, in in, the, that, in that world. Right. Uh, I think spiky heels pretty much uh, stay in corporate offices, to be real truthful. <laughs> or or on ABC. <laughs> or on ABC, or exactly right, where they're they're getting paid to advertise for, you know, some selling shoes or something. Exactly. I, I, I will tell you just a quick funny story, though, because when the first day at the academy, everybody stood up to introduce themselves, right? And a guy over to one side said that he had, was a special forces, uh, uh, just got back from a, a assignment in North uh, Africa, and another guy stood up and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a New Jersey State Trooper, or I was, and I survived a lot of shootouts. And then I stood up, and I said, I was a buyer at a fancy department store, and everybody <laughs> turned to get a look at the fluff ball that had accidentally gotten into the FBI Academy. So um, while it, my looks served me well in just gaining uh, 
the confidence and and uh, and those initial first meetings with people within my own group uh, of agents, uh, they expected somebody who looked a little tougher and, right. and looked uh, looked a little bit more like them, and that meant a guy because almost all my uh, coworkers were men. So what was it that attracted you to this job that was going to require, I mean, clearly it would require physical toughness and mental toughness, but I'm betting that that wasn't what they said when they recruited you. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you're right about that. Um, You know, it was one of those things where I, as I mentioned, I was in a job that I knew I hated. And this is what I have learned is that, if, if your job does not have value and meaning for you, then it's it's you're, you're not going to find your heart there. Um, and we talk a lot about jobs that you know following your heart or your passion or whatever. And for me, I, I knew I could make a difference. I knew that what I would be doing was important. And time and time again, you you come up, you come face to face with. Um, parents who have lost their child, their child has been kidnapped. And you never say to them, oh, gosh, I hope I can find him. I'm hoping that we will find your little boy. No, you you find the little boy. Right. You, You do what you need to do. That is mental toughness. That is saying to yourself, you know what, there's no... Uh, there's no loophole here, there's no excuse, there's no pointing the finger at somebody else or whining or complaining because this is a particular tough case. It is doing it. It is getting out there and doing what you need to do in order to bring that little boy home. And and that is really, as far as I'm concerned, when you get down to mental toughness, it's believing that you will prevail in your circumstances right. rather than believing your circumstances are going to change. And yeah, we all get we all get handed stuff that might be considered unfair, but you know what? Um, you just have to you have to work through it. And to sit there and complain and moan and blame somebody else is not going to get you anywhere. Right. And that right. that's primarily why I wrote that book. I I feel very passionately about the fact that just buck up and do it, and 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 work your way through because. We do have, if we just dig deep, we've got what it takes 99.9% of the time to keep going. It's just that we we let fear, we let self-limiting beliefs come in the way, uh, lack of confidence. These are the, these are the real enemies right. that why, we, why we can't move forward. So let's just dig right into the book. You you have got the book organized uh, in, in different sections, and again, you're talking about 52 different things that we need to do to become tougher. So I'm I'm presuming that it was your uh, idea that we'd be able to use this book as an ongoing tool rather than just sitting down and reading it in in one uh, sitting that we'd be able to pull it out and for each week we would have one thing that we would be able to embrace and and really get a hold of that. Um, And and so from that perspective, I love, you know, practical formats like that. So you start the book talking about emotional intelligence, and I happen to have gone through an emotional intelligence training uh, program a, a number of years ago, so I know what emotional intelligence is, but for our listeners who have never heard that term, can you give us a, a snapshot of what it is? 
Absolutely. Um, and, and, you're, and you're correct. The book is me- meant to be sort of a workbook. You can get it as a, both a paperback and as a um, online book, a Kindle type of uh, e-reader. But that, you're right. I want, I'm hoping that people will use this book to refer to, go back to, and look at when they need it. But uh, emotional intelligence is, um, and people will often ask me, or say, well, why do you start off with authenticity, emotional intelligence? These seem like such touchy, feely kind of topics. And when you're talking about toughness, mental toughness, grit, FBI, you know, it seems like a disconnect. But it's not. And, and first of all, I'll define emotional intelligence. It's really understanding your emotions and the emotions of others so you can manage them in ways that are going to keep moving you forward, that will, um, when you come up against something that's like an obstacle, adversity, roadblock, whatever it happens to be, it's about understanding your own reactions and being able to read the reactions of others. So you're savvy. You're savvy about what's going on, both with yourself and with others. Right, and you talk about mental toughness requiring emotional fitness. And fitness implies to me that there's something we can do about it. If, you know, if we're not fit physically, we can go and we can get on a regular workout program and we can become fit. So if you are not emotionally intelligent or aware and mm-hmm. you, you aren't emotionally fit, what can you do about it? That's a great point, uh, and you are absolutely right. You have, we all have the ability to learn. And I'll be quite frank. I think the reason most people aren't more emotionally intelligent is that they're just too lazy to really put in the work that it takes to understand your, yourself and, and the work it takes to be introspective, to know what makes you tick. But once you put in that effort, you are you suddenly are the one in control of your emotions rather than letting your emotions be in control of you. And I bet your listeners can think of many times when suddenly, you know, an emotion pops up and they're not able, they don't really understand where it came from. It might sabotage a situation they're in. Suddenly they react emotionally in a way that's not beneficial to them. And, and really emotional intelligence is being aware of, how, of, first of all, of why that emotion pops up in different situations and then how you can control it. And that is emotional toughness. That is emotional fitness is being able to really control uh, those emotional outbreaks. So that, and you control them by understanding them. And right. so many times people I know just don't want to go to the negative emotions. You know, they just they just want band-aids to put over all that stuff. They don't want to deal with it, but they're not doing themselves any favor because right. those emotions are going to rise. Well, you you talked to us about the reaction of of the other um, folks who were in your class, and I mean they they came in, and I'm sure that they could you know, kick butt and take names, right? But they, they looked at you and they, they immediately thought, you know, whether it's the blonde hair or, you know, what whatever it was about you or just your gender, 
right, that they didn't think that you could do that. So the next chapter in your book talks about how women leaders can kick butt, right? And and we yes. do take names, right? Absolutely. Uh, and, and you're right. I mean, uh, I was put into a category, and, you know, I'm not going to say uh, maybe, you know, the word stereotype, but I will say, you know, a softball. That is how they looked at me, and part of it is the blonde hair. <clears throat> but I will say one thing. I had played the dumb blonde a couple of times and gotten amazing results because people have this natural desire to help you out. And it's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, I don't know what to do. And they're going, oh, let me help you, you poor thing. But in general, <laughs> though, I mean, you know, I use my 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 looks or whatever. It, it doesn't make any difference if you have red hair or brunette right. or whatever. Really, it um, it it I, I people didn't know what to expect when they when they met me and and in some ways that was to my advantage because i it's that stealth thing i could be uh stealthily moving next to them because i recruited spies that's what i did i was a counterintelligence agent and there are no female russian counter uh, uh, kgb officers despite what you see on TV or whatever, they're, right. they're usually what you would call, um, they're not trained officers, they're, 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 they're kind of what you would call agents or sources, whatever. They're, they're not the actual ones calling the shot, uh, the actual agent who's been trained. They're people that they've recruited to help them out. And that's usually when you talk about female, females with foreign intelligence services, that's what you're talking about. Right. Whereas... You know, CIA, FBI, we we have actually trained female officers, and and other countries do too, but not Russia or China, which are the two areas I primarily worked against. So yeah, you know, I found that you know, make it work for you, make make what you the assets you have work for you instead of you know wanting to be some sort of macho Larray type, which I'm not. You know, I'm pretty just who I am, uh, pretty thin-boned and tall, and I'm not as physically strong as, as, as the, as the um, male agents. And so I, I thought to myself, I would never wrestle somebody to the ground. you got to be kidding. That's not going to work for me. So I, I used other ways to get next to people and uh, sort of dropped their uh, defenses so I could do what I needed to do. Right, right. So... You talk next about the art of getting what you want, and and I love the comment about you know playing the dumb blonde, and you know I I do that every once in a while. Well, I'm not blonde, but um, yeah. on on an airplane, you know, like I'll look at a, a man, you know, I'll I'll you know go to lift up my suitcase, and you know, invariably they want to help you, right? I but know. if I were just being Bless myself and say, you know, can you help me? That he would probably be put off by that. <laughs> Well, you, you, um, you know, I, I will, I'll quickly tell you, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to go into a big, long story, so I'll quickly tell you about my first arrest, um, because it was supposed to be all done by uh, the FBI SWAT team. This guy was armed and dangerous. He was uh, an extortionist. I was along for the ride with the case agent because I was a new agent, right? Well, we were on a busy road, and SWAT team got cut off by um, traffic, and it happened that the case agent, he was driving, I was in the passenger seat, pulled up next to the guy that we were supposed to arrest at a stop sign, stoplight. 
And my case agent looked at me and he said, you know what? We're going to lose him. You, we got to make the arrest now and you're the closest. I'm going, oh, my God. So, you know, I took off my FBI ray jacket because we all had ray jackets on. Right. And I'm thinking, oh, crap. You know, all I knew is that I needed to make this work. It was my first arrest, brand new agent out of Quantico. So I, um, I pulled my sweater over my gun so he wouldn't see it. And I, I opened my passenger door. And he was looking straight ahead, big guy. And I went over and I tapped on his window and he kind of turned and looked at me, and I smiled and kind of gave him a little wave. And he was just like, what is this? But he rolled down his window because he's like, what's going on, you know? He wasn't alarmed at all. Turns out he did have an armed weapon. He did have a loaded weapon with him, by the way. And um, so I, and I just smiled, and I just immediately pulled out my gun and said, FBI, you're under arrest. And he was so shocked. He, his foot slipped off the clutch. And his car, and, he, and, he, and he, his car jerked into the intersection and stalled. And, <laughs> and but I stayed with him the whole time, my gun on him. And um, you know, I heard some car crash somewhere in the background. But I mean, you know, it was just I, it, it, you know, my macho fellow agents might have handled that arrest differently. But the bottom line is, I got him arrested. Right. And and I mean, and and so I didn't need to be somebody I wasn't. When I say women can kick butt, yes, they can. Just believe in themselves and and, and, and I hate this term lean in, so I'm not going to use that. But, but, but be who they are. And, I mean, there's no reason to make excuses for yourself because you're a, a, a female. Your, right. your way of doing things might be just a little bit differently. That's all. It might right. be just a little bit different. Well, you know, I, I think it's interesting when you take a look at an, an FBI agent under any circumstances, you know, is able to bulletproof themselves, at least their body, uh, by putting yeah. on body armor, uh, you know, uh, something to protect themselves from bullets. But, you know, we've got this brain that is going nonstop and, and questioning our own ability you know, we don't have to hear that from other people. We we do enough of it to ourselves. And so Section 2 is all about bulletproofing your brain. So yes. talk to us about developing the brain of a leader. Absolutely. And, you know, you made a great comment when you said we, we second-guess ourselves and, and question whether we can do things. And it, whether you're man or male or female, we do this. And, and it's very natural. Our brain has a innate negativity bias, and that there's a part of our brain that's called a limbic brain system, and it is where emotions uh, rise, and it is survival driven. And the reason our brain has a natural bias toward negativity is that negative thoughts were originally there are and are there to keep us from uh, from danger. So for centuries, since caveman days, you know, our brain is t- t- helping us to get lunch, not be lunch. <laughs> right. But, but as as you know, but in this in our world today, not everything that is negative or um, it, it, or, or creates fear in us is necessarily a threat. And so we need we need to understand the difference. Now, for example, I mean, uh, our brain will not react 
to positive information as quickly as it will to negative information. I mean, they, I mean, like think of positive words like Teflon that just slide off. Negative and words and negative thoughts are like Velcro; they stick. And so that's part of the way the brain is wired for survival. So that, just knowing that is is important because if your natural instinct is to say, "Oh, I can't do that," "Oh, oh, what?" you know, that's I I could never possibly do something like that. That's fine. Just don't let that be the end your end reaction. So right. what, and, and, and researchers, and I, I based this book, this book is based in neuroscience because I am not one of these folks that's going to get up here and say, oh, hey, I say you should do this because I, what we need is evidence. I, right. I, theories are great, but I've got to tell you, as an FBI agent, I was, I was taught to, to trust evidence. Right. So I am basing this on neuroscience and researchers have found that to you need a ratio of about five to one. For every one negative thought you have about why you cannot do something, you need to generate five positive thoughts to counter it. That is how strong that negativity bias is for everybody. And a lot of it's just like listen to that, that negative voice inside saying, oh, I, I'm not going to be able to do this, and, and, and maybe they'll try to come up with one or two reasons. But you really need to have five good reasons to counter it, five positive thoughts to counter it in order to keep moving forward. That's one way you can bulletproof your brain. It's very effective. And so is that the way I upgrade my brain? If I, if I have constantly lived in, in that world of negativity, is upgrading your brain actually silencing that negative voice by drowning it out with positive? Well, that's part of it. And, and I, I, I want to say, too, there's a lot of, uh, yes, that's a, 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 a first step. I would say another step is to speak slowly because it, that allows your, your rational brain, the cerebral brain, to interrupt the limbic brain and its natural. I mean, you know, you always hear about, you know, take a deep breath. And I'm going, yes. what's that going to do to me? I'm simply wasting time. I understand that breathing, deep breathing is good for being calm, but, but I mean, I need to get my brain thinking, right? Well, that's exactly what you do. When you take a deep breath, it's not to, it's not to somehow this breath is going to change the way your, your body. It's giving your, your logical thinking brain, which is slower, time to catch up and interrupt that little limbic brain, which is just this little brain, but so fast and so powerful. And so it allows these other thinking, uh, logical thoughts to, to interrupt the emotion. And that's right. why, again, emotional intelligence <clears throat> and mental toughness is, is, is controlling your brain so that you're, you're and, and controlling your emotions so that your emotions are not controlling you. So thinking, um, getting your giving your logical brain time to catch up in some way. So thinking, taking a break between words uh, helps a lot. And you have to understand, too, that you're, you, we can say something between 300 and 1,000 words to ourselves per minute. That's a lot. Wow. And so if we stop and think about that, what the, our self-talk, you know, the way we talk to ourselves, 
our brain is always listening. Whether we're aware of it or not, our brain is always listening. So if you think that you can't do something, your brain is actually going to put up barriers around you achieving that goal because you're, you've already said to yourself, I can't do that. Well, whether or not you, you, you realize it, the brain is listening to everything you're thinking about yourself, and it's going to protect you. And it, it, it will say, okay, I, she cannot do this. I'm going to protect her from doing it because this is not something she can do. And your brain will put up barriers around achieving your goal. That self-talk is so important. That's wild. So yeah. the next chapter is, is actually a little bit surprising uh, with the title, which is, yes, is the most dangerous word in the world. Yes. Yes. Um, that is true. And that is, it gets right back to that negativity bias we have. And when we say, yes, I can do it, we are actually changing the way our brain is thinking about this obstacle. And it's a great segue from what we were just talking about. Because if you say to yourself, I mean, so you can say, I can say to you, yeah, sure, I can, I can do that. But if you're thinking to yourself inside that you cannot do it, your brain will, will, will protect you from doing it. It will keep you from doing it. Hmm. And so when you say yes, but you have to believe it, you've got to be talking to yourself like this, saying, you know the way, I can do this. So I need to figure out how to do it. Your brain starts to cooperate. Your brain, those, 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 there's, um, and there, then you get into the real neuroscience. Of, of how your brain grows, because your brain can continue to grow right now, no matter what age you are. I mean, I think people think, oh, when I reach a certain age, that's it. I am who I am. Forget it. I, I'm not going to be able to change. But that's wrong. Again, that person is just being lazy. Because it does take effort to really train your brain to think differently. But, but in the past few years, it's, it, it, neuroscience has realized and, and, and proven that your brain is elastic. There's, um, it's, it's elastic. It can grow. Um, neuroplasticity is what it's called. And so the more you learn, the more your brain has to work. And when it works, it strengthens these connections, these neural connections. That's what practice is all about. You know how we practice to be better at something? Well, the right. brain, you know, the brain is constantly firing off new neurons. And, and those, those, those connections get stronger and stronger. And suddenly then, by, simply by practicing, you are better at it. And so, again, it's rewiring your brain. So it doesn't make any difference if you're, if you're 20, if you're 60. It doesn't make any difference. Your brain is still capable of learning new things. So when I say yes is a very dangerous word, it means you're committing yourself. You are committing yourself to changing, to being more mentally tough, to, to actually overcome obstacles and move through roadblocks that are in your way. Right. So the next section of the book moves on to talking about finding your inner warrior. And, you know, again, if your brain is trying to convince you that you can't do these things or, or feeding that self-talk, uh, eventually some, somebody inside has to fight back, right? Yeah. So yes. Uh, this chapter uh, talks really about three things, and I'm going to let you just kind of hone in on, on, or this section of the book, rather. 
staying cool under pressure, which I'm sure you've got tons of stories about that, ways to go stronger from the turmoil in your life, and how to move forward when you feel overwhelmed. So just why don't, why don't you just pull your, your favorite stories about uh, finding your inner warrior? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, 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 the last one about um, try, how to how to deal with being overwhelmed. And I think a lot of people, I tell you, I think a lot of women in particular uh, feel a, a lot of pressure to be, you know, moms, to be uh, homemakers, um, to be professionals. There, there's a lot of things that they're trying to juggle. And they tr- do. They're juggling five or six things all at once. But I'll... I'll just come right out and say this. Um, women are no better at juggling five things at once than men are. There is simply no no difference between men and women. They are not able really? to juggle. No, they are absolutely not. And this is a lie that a lot of women get pulled into. They think they can multitask better than men. A lot of women are totally convinced they are masters at multitasking, and they even take a little pride in that. But they are wrong. There's absolutely no, no, no research anywhere in the world that, 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 that gives any credibility to that statement at all. The only thing women can do a little better than men is switch between tasks more quickly. Mm. But whether you're male or female, this is the bottom line. If you want to do something well, You've got to give it 100% attention. That's the bottom line. And so the way that we all need to, can survive and have to is that, so I can do more than one thing at once. That's not the question. Yeah, all of us can do more, thing, more than one thing at once. That's just, but nothing gets 100% attention. So if you want to do something very well, you have to intentionally focus 100% of your attention to whatever it is you're doing. Because if you interrupt that attention and, and that focus you have, it takes about 20 minutes for you to get back into the groove. I mean, you waste time when you do that. And so the biggest tip I can give anybody is to decide what's important and prioritize and start your day with or whatever, whatever chunk of time you have with what's important and stick with it. And if you need to um, switch and do something else, then put it and con- intentionally move to task number three or whatever. If you need to give it 100% of your attention, what happens is we do five things at once and we give each about 25% of our attention, right? So, right. I mean, that's how, that's how we handle it. So, like, if you're at a meeting and you really need, you know everybody's on their, on their iPhone or, you know, multitasking. We do it all the time. We're answering texts in meetings or whatever. And you have something to say that you want to make sure everybody hears. Say, I need your total attention on this right now. <laughs> all right. And, 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 and get their attention, spit it out, and then knowing that everybody's going to go right back to the multitasking. They're going to be thinking about the grocery list. They're going to be thinking about answering a text or, you know, whatever. And that's normal. That's just how, that's how we function. But as far as doing a job well, no, you can't. You can't multitask and do a job with 100% right. um, of, of your ability. 
Yeah, probably uh, trying to arrest that guy while figuring out what you're going to make for dinner would not have been a really good thing. No, there you go. There you go. I mean, you know, and, and, and it's, it, I, I just kind of feel sorry for, I think a lot of women really get sucked into that lie. They really do think that they can multitask. Right. And, um, and so that they're not giving themselves um, the full benefit of the doubt, you know, and, and uh, th- I mean, just, just don't expect so much from yourself and you're not, you're not, you know, you're not any less talented or less skilled than anybody else, but you know, you're not able to do it. Nobody can. Right. So the last section is all about uh, predicting your success. And it it has three different chapters, move toward peak performance, how to beat the odds, and how to better juggle work and life. And I I know that that is a battle that, uh, you know, we have all faced uh, at many different points. Uh, You know, I I am currently in a phase of my life. I I had, uh, during the first 20 years of my marriage, uh, I only had children the last 10 of that. But my Mm -hmm. husband played Mr. Mom. Yeah, and he was home, and and so I didn't have to worry about it. I was traveling all over the world, and uh, so juggling work and life was really a for me about the transition of coming home off of the road, and you know, figuring out that I didn't know all the new rules that had been implemented the previous week by the <laughs> nanny and my husband, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but now it's it's very different because he uh, at age sixty one got the job of his dreams, and so now he's gone almost every week, and I'm having to take on being a mom, learning what my kids like to eat. And I yeah. got chided by my daughter yesterday that I ordered the wrong thing for her at McDonald's when I, you know, here oh. I was picking her up at softball. Um, you know, so juggling work and life has different seasons, uh, I think, for yeah. each of us. But what are the biggest predictors of our success um, when it comes to really, you know, getting that mental toughness and being able to handle mm-hmm. whatever is thrown at us? Mm. That's a great, great question. Um, I I, I, there's, and there's a lot of different ways to answer it. I'm going to start with um, with something called visualizing. Um, and I didn't really know what it was until I, I started doing some research on, uh, on, you know, how we can predict our success, how we can grow stronger from turmoil in our life. And, the, the, I mean, we all have turmoil. Uh, nobody escapes that. It, I mean, no matter what kind of life we have on the outside there's there's we all experience the turmoil and so what i what i found to be one of the most fascinating tools that i really encourage people uh, men and women to really embrace and that is the whole idea of visualizing and i'll explain that visualizing is is based in science it is the ability to look at a tough situation ahead of you and visualize your performance. And this is where you can trick the brain, actually, because, um, and I'm always into, out, you know, figuring ways to, to, to get, finding ways that the brain, you can get the brain to work with you instead of against you, <laughs> because we were talking earlier about right. how, how easy it is for the brain to do its own thing. So this is the way you can trick your brain. And when you visualize, let's just, let's just say you have a meeting or an event. It doesn't have to be a meeting, whatever it is. And you know it's going to be tough. 
you know your success. Well, you don't know how you're going to be successful. It's kind of an unknown. And what you can do is visualize your performance. You can visualize how you are going to react to a comment, to a conversation, to a question. And visualize your response, visualize your posture, visualize their reaction, your reaction. And what this does is your brain sees this as a success. And when it does, it produces a chemical called dopamine. And dopamine is a very important chemical for people who want to be mentally tough because dopamine is is connected to uh, with rewards and and it sees it sees you as as a winner and it, when you, when you accomplish something like that it, your brain produces dopamine the thing that's really cool is your brain can't differentiate between a visualized success and a real success so if yeah your brain produces so if i sit here and i fantas i know i'll get back to fantasy in just a minute i visualize it's important to use that word visualize myself um standing up before a group of people and presenting a talk i'm going to visualize my my movements my body language all of that my brain sees that as reality and so it, 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 uh, it's clocked in to success. So it's, it's, uh, it's clocked in as, as, as a performance that I've, I've already accomplished. Now, the brain is also very smart. So you start to fantasize about something that's far beyond what you're capable of doing. I mean, you know, jumping over tall buildings or something. You fantasize about, you're, you know, seeing yourself up on a stage being, a, you know, a rock star or something, your brain automatically shuts down because it sees that as a fantasy for what it is. And it will actually uh, protect you from making a fool of yourself. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, it, it will actually prevent you. Or hurting yourself. <laughs> or hurting yourself. It's exactly right. Because it, see, it, it knows that you're, 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 it, that's not reality. And so, so it's important that you, you, you keep this realistic but if you see yourself really performing in a way that's going to be, you know, make you look good and be a success, you've won. You, that's, it's, it's an important way to predict your success. Interesting. So that, you know, I hadn't really thought about the brain uh, operating that way, but it's interesting. I just finished uh, writing a, a manuscript for a book that I'm hoping to have published later this year. And I had um, since, oh gosh, it must have been 2007. I read a business, an allegorical business novel, and I've wanted to write one ever since then. And so it was funny because when I sat down to write it, I, I didn't actually have a plan. Which which was a little odd for me. That that's not how I normally operate. I've been a strategic consultant for 19 years, so I yeah. normally have a, a bit of a plan in place. Yeah. But when I sat down and started writing this book, I, I picked a story about a company that had many characteristics of my own company, 
and uh, I, I made the the main character, the CEO, a man, uh, an immigrant from Israel, instead of me, you know, who did yeah. not immigrate from Israel, right, um, yeah. and and uh, made the company uh, not doing so well, but having to take in private equity, and I have resisted taking in uh, investment in my company. But as the book wore on, uh, it was very interesting because I found myself writing aspirational stuff into this book mm. about how I want my life to turn out and how I want my company uh, to yes. turn out. And um, during the course of the book, each of the characters actually come home at the end of the day and listen to one of my radio shows. So it's actually about, you know, my real life as a radio right. show host. And yeah. But it's so funny because I realize as you're saying all of this that I am like really busy trying to trick my brain. <laughs> No, you. But, you're, but this is great. This, thank you for bringing that example up. It's the perfect example of how you can see yourself in a way that is is moving forward. And that really, when I talk about mental toughness, that's what that's what I want. That's why I wrote this book. I want everybody to understand their potential and find ways. And and exactly, your example is perfect because you are seeing yourself in a in a realistic way. That can happen. And, right, you know, and it's, it's so it's, funny because this week I, I we are very close to signing uh, just a, a life-changing contract for us. And uh, so I started calling around to get office space. And in the book, I actually placed myself in the office building where I have wanted to be for seven years. Excellent. And so I, I call that. and I find out there's no space available. And so they say, well, how about this other building? It's got, you know, kind of a water view from afar. Well, when they sent me the floor plan, not even pictures, I look at the layout of this, this office facility and it's like, nope, that's not it. Because I already have the picture in my mind of what it looks like. Yes. And so when I walk yes. in, I'm going to know. <laughs> you will know. And and that's, that's it's a brilliant example. And, and thanks so much for sharing it because I um, it's, it's a real-life example. And that's so important. You know, it, it allows your, your listeners to, like, say, okay, yeah, I know what that feels like. Right. I, I know. what I can visualize exactly what I, what I want to happen. And and it's within the realm of possibilities. It's not a fantasy. It is right. It is and so that is how to beat the odds, right? It is, is to actually how, be able to visualize. Yes. yes, but you've got to have that. It, to to your point exactly. If you don't have a dream, if you don't have a success that you uh-huh. can visualize, then you're not going to get anywhere. We all you you have to have that. You have to have the ability or the something out there that you know when you see it, that is it. Well, one of the things I love about your book is that you acknowledge right up front that these are all strengths that we have already. And and so you're just giving us tips of how to recognize our strengths and how to use them. And uh, again, for those of you who may have joined us late, the name of the book that we've been talking about is Mental Toughness for Women Leaders, 52 Tips to Recognize and Utilize Your Greatest Strengths. Lorraine, could you just share with our listeners, uh, you know, kind of what your day job is now and, and, you know, what kinds of things that you're tackling now that you're not with the FBI? Absolutely. Um, I, I will say that when I was younger, when I say younger, when my teens, my early 20s, I always wanted to write. 
that was just something I've always wanted to do. But, you know, who can make a living writing? I mean, you know, <laughs> seriously. And so I, 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 the default was to get a degree. I, I call it my good housekeeping seal of approval, but I got a degree in business. Because I figured, you know, whatever, it's nice and safe. And I figured whatever, wherever I went, I could do that, or, you know, find a way to use that degree. So, and I loved what I did. I loved my 24 years in the FBI. I loved it. I would not train those years for anything. But when I, I retired um, early, I mean, I, 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 it was not mandatory. I just, I just wanted to a change. I knew I needed to do something different with my life. I did want to pursue writing. And so my day job really is, is writing. I, I love to write, and that's what I'm doing now. And I write books. I write blogs. I write articles. Um, and the other thing I do is um, I'm a, more of a consultant or coach, I guess. Um, I don't coach one-on-one, but I do work as a consultant for companies primarily. I work with companies. And, um, and I've got uh, training modules that I'm working on now <clears throat> that will be available to folks, for folks who are listening uh, on my website. On, on mental toughness, a lot of the things we talked about, a lot of the categories we talked about are, are, are exactly what I go into even more detail with a lot of tactics on how, you know, how people can actually go deeper and, and learn how to bulletproof their mind, how they can find that inner warrior, how they can be more savvy when it comes to using emotional intelligence. So, so, um, the, for, so it's on, the online training consulting and writing that's what I'm doing right now got it got it so tell people uh how to reach you what is the best way for them to connect with you either on social media or or to find out more about you well absolutely and thank you for for um, giving me the opportunity to to share that and my name is spelled l-a capital r-a-e and the last name is q-u-y Lorraine Kwai. And you look me up. I, believe it or not, I'm the only one out there, really, on social in social media. So yeah, I could, I'm, I'm at LoreQuai.com. I didn't have to worry about anybody else having that, that name. <laughs> That's great. Well, actually, Chicky, Chicky Fitzgerald is a, is a little bit like that too, with yes. uh, nobody sharing my name. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So you and I are in the same boat on that one, which is nice. So all you need to do, I'd love to see folks check out my website. Uh, and that is www.loraequai.com. Uh, feel free to reach out to me via email, uh, loray at loraequai.com. Uh, I'm on social media. Twitter is just loraequai. There I'm, I'm there. And on Facebook. Again, now on Facebook, I would love to see you. It's, um, I have my page. It's called Empower the Leader in You. So um, that's where I post. I do have, if you look up loraequai, you can like me. Uh, there and I'll get back to you to actually go to empower the leader in you because that's where I post. Is it? Oh, is, wonderful! Is empower the leader in you on, on Facebook. So, well, Lorraine, it has been terrific, and and uh, you know, I mean, I know we could spend uh, hours hearing about all of your FBI stories. Maybe that's that's for for another day or for another book. But again, <laughs> the book that we've been talking about today is Mental Toughness for Women Leaders. You're going to want to keep this book someplace where you can uh, look at it. Fifty two weeks a year. It's 52 tips to recognize and utilize your greatest strengths. Lorraine, thank you so much for your time, and I hope you have a super weekend. Thank you, Chicky. It's been a fun, fun conversation, and uh, you have a great weekend as well. 
Absolutely. And for those who have been listening, you can find out more about the Executive Girlfriends Group at www.executivegirlfriendsgroup.com. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we'll see you next week.